So today I want to talk about rhetorical questions. And I think some of you probably already know the definition, but a rhetorical question are questions that we use more as a statement for effect with really no answer expected. And you know, we're all guilty of this. You know, some examples of rhetorical questions. What were you thinking? Or is the Pope Catholic? Or is rain wet? Do you want to be a failure the rest of your life? Can fish swim? Can birds fly? Do, bur do dogs bark? Do cats meow? Are Manchester United fans legit? <laughs> yeah, that, you can tell that I actually wrote this message two weeks ago before they beat Liverpool, which I'm a fan of, and I know a few others in here, but anyway, that was more for my son, who is a, is a Man U fan, but uh, they did well yesterday. Years ago, uh, when I was coaching, I coached soccer. I coached younger kids' soccer, the little ones. Um, and during halftime at a game, when we really should have been winning the game, uh, but we were just playing terribly, as many coaches do, I was trying to motivate the players. And I realize now, looking back on it, that it, I probably didn't handle the situation the way I should have in an emotional, mature sort of a way. But as we're all gathered around for this halftime pep talk that I wanted to give them, I, I asked or even kind of forcefully yelled this question to the kids. Does anybody want to win this game? Well... Interesting thing about uh, working with early teen children, um, they have this frontal lobe section of the brain that is not fully developed yet. And that frontal section of the brain actually is the part that, that, that reasons yet, and, they, and they, they, they should be able to, you would think, adults understand rhetorical questions. Kids at that age, they don't understand rhetorical questions. And as you can imagine already what happens, I had this kid raise his hand in the middle of my impassioned speech, and he said, Coach, I want to win the game. <laughs> kind of killed the moment right there. But, uh, it, you know, it happens, it happens to all of us. We've all been there. Some of you have um, been following my health journey these last few months in regard to my kidneys uh, the fact that they're losing function and will most likely shut down sometime here in the near future, unfortunately. And we've, we ourselves, our family, we've been surrounded by some incredible friends, um, not just here in South Africa, but in other areas of the world. But I remember one interaction I had with a friend. And as we were talking about this, they looked at me and they asked the question, do you want to be healed? And I, I, I kind of looked at them, and I wasn't sure exactly if this was maybe a rhetorical question or not a rhetorical question, but then I answered, yeah, of course, I would love for my kidneys to be fully functioning. Um, our story this morning that we want to look at from Scripture, there was a similar type interaction, um, and it's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, your apps, whatever, you can see it on the screen as well. But I want us to read this, John chapter 5. I'm only going to be reading the first nine verses. And this is what it says. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. 
After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. When Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. So before we get into some of the lessons that I wanted to pull from this text, I wanted to set the stage a little bit for what we've just read here. Um, Jerusalem, the main city in Israel, is where this story takes place. And um, Jerusalem had been built kind of on top of this mountain, and around most of the cities, particularly the larger cities during this time, it had actually been surrounded by a wall. And you see here the, the wall that's surrounding the, the city of Jerusalem during this time. Um, there's many times in Scripture, if you guys are familiar with the Bible, you're going to remember stories specifically having to do with walls. When the Israelites were first coming into the Promised Land, remember they walked around the city of Jericho seven times and then the walls came down. And then you also have the, the time when Nehemiah actually built these walls. These walls had been destroyed and he came back and he built these, rebuilt these walls again. You remember the story maybe of Paul when he was in the city and he had to actually be let down the city wall in a basket to save him. So, so walls played a very important part of the city of Jerusalem. And of course, with walls, you need to have entrances. And if you look closely up here, you'll actually, I'm not going to point them out just yet, but if you look closely up here, you'll actually see the gates to Jerusalem. And they varied over the ages, but there's approximately about 12 gates. If you study actually Nehemiah, you can actually see how he builds gate by gate. That's where he starts and does this. The gate that we're referring to today, where this story finds us, is kind of in the north. If you look up there, the north, where you see the circle, the, north, the northeast section of Jerusalem. It's just north of the temple itself that was being built. This is referred to as the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate's also gone through numerous names over the years. Here more recently, if you're going to research this, you'll find that it's called the Lion's Gate. But the reason it was called the Sheep Gate back then is because it was through this gate that the priests and others would actually bring the lamb in to be slaughtered here in the temple. Because right below, if you go back up to that slide a second, if you can bring it up there, just below where the sheep gate is, you see the temple. So it made perfect sense for people to bring the sheeps in there to be sacrificed. And all of this, I think, has some great symbolism to it. But just outside of the city gates here, this is where Jesus is going to be meeting this 
this, this man. Just outside the gates, there was a series of hot springs that were there, and they formed a pool. That pool they called Bethesda. There was actually two pools side by side, divided by a wall, but they called it the pool of Bethesda. And interestingly enough, here, at this pool, or at these pools, um, there was something that happened there. And the pool would actually, the, the water would get stirred up. Now today, we actually know that most likely that those were hot springs that was actually causing the water to bubble. They didn't bubble all the time, but it was kind of this once every so often the waters would bubble. And there was this superstitious belief back then that an angel would come down and actually stir up the waters and then whoever made it to the waters first would actually be healed. Now, if you look in your Bibles, I don't know how many of you, depending on the translations that you have, but there's certain translations that actually don't include verse four. I don't know if you guys, if, as you're looking in your apps, depending on the translation that you have, do we have anyone out there that has a Bible that doesn't include verse four in it? The one that I read did not have verse four in it. It actually goes verse one, two, three, they skip verse four, and then it goes on to verse five. There's others that do it. And let me just give you a quick explanation before some of us start doubting the authenticity of whether this is indeed God's word or not. But what happened was the, the, the older translations, think the King James, the New King James, some of those, they actually wanted to clarify this belief, this thought process. And so they included verse four in there. Verse four basically stating that there's an angel that comes down, stirs up the water, and then the first people in are the ones who are healed. But then in about the 18, 1800s, early 1900s, there was some new scrolls. We call them the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were discovered, and, and these were kind of the, the, the oldest manuscripts that we actually found out there of the Bible that was being written. And when we looked at the Gospel of John, we actually found out that, no, John does not include this in his original writings. And so some of the newer translations today Think of the ESV, think of the NIV. They actually, the NLT is another one. They decided we're not going to be including verse four in there. And then there's another one, and I think it's the New American Standard. They actually include it, but then they have it kind of bracketed in there. They give this explanation as to why it is. Now, why do I say all this? The important thing I think that we want to come away with from this is there's some Bible passages that will include it, others will not. But the important thing is the people believed. The people believed that if they made it to the water when it was bubbling up, that they would be healed. And it wasn't just anyone, it was the first ones that made it. So that's the context now of this story. Jesus arrives and as he arrives there, he sees a multitude of, of invalids, many people that are there, sick, lame, blind, paralyzed, whatever their, whatever their problem was, whatever their, their, their struggle was. And they were all waiting here at this pool of Bethesda. Now, we read this already in John chapter five and you followed along. I want us to watch a video clip. Watch a video clip of this. You guys, many of you have seen the movie, The Chosen. 
And there's a video clip that actually talks about this encounter. And I love the way, I love the way this, this, this is portrayed here in this movie. I will say that the author of the, of the video, the, 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 the producer themselves, he takes some, some uh, what do you call it, uh, license, if I could say that, um, creative licenses. But I, I don't believe it takes away at all from exactly what happens. So take a moment, watch this video clip. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you, or who's not helping, or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. You only need
to walk, like he said. Don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. To go through the chosen, it's a very powerful depiction of um, Christ and his years here on earth and I encourage you to do that it is a it's a free you can watch it on the app and other other platforms but it's a it's a free opportunity for you guys to watch that um, but guys very simply very simply this morning I want to just mention and talk about four lessons there's a lot of lessons that we can get from this story And one of my prayers over the course of these weeks that I've been planning and prepping for this is that God speak to each and every one of you individually through his word, with his spirit. And you may be able to identify some lessons that we don't talk about today, but these are just four main ones that I wanted to pull out and identify with us, and, uh, and then we'll be done. Um, so let's, let's go ahead. Lesson number one. <clears throat> It's actually in the form of a question. And that lesson that I wanted to ask you guys is, what is your pool? What is your pool? What's the pool that you find yourself sitting at? It's a question that I've asked for myself as well. What's the pool that I find myself sitting at sometimes? You know, we all do this. And that is we put our hope in false hopes. This man, along with numerous others who were there at the pool, were putting their hopes in something false, in a superstition, believing that if they could be the first ones into the water after it was stirred up, their problems would go away. And guys, I don't know what your situation is this morning. Could be depression. I know that as students, Depression and anxiety is something that has been racking Stellenbosch campus for quite some time now, though, these last few months. The amount of suicides, the amount of attempted suicides, and other things that are going on. I know it just doesn't affect students, but this is something that maybe you are wrestling with this morning. Depression, anxiety, others, relationships. It may be the relationship with your spouse, with your wife. It may be your relationship with your husband, relationship with your kids, relationship maybe with your ex. Whatever your relationship is, we're dealing with that and we, we want to solve that. Um, some of us might be wanting to start families and we can't for whatever reason, infertility, Whatever the situation might be. Some of us might be struggling with financial uh, issues. 
How are we making ends meet? Rent is going up, food prices are going up, fuel is going up, my paycheck staying the same or going down at times. So we have these finance, some of us maybe are trying to figure out how in the world are we going to be paying for this next term at school? But issues that we're dealing with, others maybe image issues. I'm too fat, I'm too skinny. My nose is too big, my nose is too small, whatever it might be. But we deal with these image issues and what we end up doing all too often, guys, is we actually are looking for solution to these problems in a variety of places. We're looking for solutions to these problems for any place other than Jesus. And this man here, and there were others like him, but this man here, 38 years, 38 years he'd been waiting to be healed, Scripture says. 38 years he was sitting here at the pool of false hope, waiting. And isn't this what we do? You know, in our minds, a lot of times we know, if, we're, if we've been to church, we know Jesus is the answer to the hurting in our lives, but so often we seek solutions in other places first. And we actually don't come to Jesus immediately. And for some, like this man, 38 years, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go look for it, you know, if I can maybe just, if I can just get a good enough education that's going to solve all of my problems. Or you know what? If I can just marry the, 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 the right person, that's going to solve all of my relationship problems. Or if I can just whatever, it's going to solve my problems. What Jesus is telling this man is you don't need the water. You don't need the pool. You need me. You need Jesus. Lesson number one. What is the pool that you guys are sitting at? What is the pool that we all are sitting at? Second lesson <coughs> is actually seen in this man's response. You know, Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? And his response was immediately to make excuses. It's immediately to make excuses. You know, we make excuses when confronted with the truth. And that's also a very common thing. He says, you know what? I have nobody to take me to the water when it's stirred up. And Jesus, as he pointed out, he wasn't asking the man why he was still crippled. He was asking him, do you want to get well? And friends, this is the same question that Jesus is asking us. Whether we realize it or not, We've all been diagnosed, if I could use the medical analogy further, we've all been diagnosed with a cancer, and that cancer is called sin. It separates us from God and God's desire to bridge that gap, to restore our relationship with him the way he designed it in the beginning. He's asking us today if we want to get well. That empty feeling that's in us, if we want it to remain empty or if we want to fill our hearts with his presence. And later on this morning, you guys, are, we're going to have that opportunity 
to respond to that specific question. Do you want to get well? And, and I would encourage us, um, check our hearts. Because is the first response excuses? Is the first response, yeah, but I still want to have fun? Or, yeah, but I would really like to continue to be hanging out with that girl or that guy. We make excuses when confronted with the truth. This leads us into the third lesson that we can extract from this story. And that is, when we offer hope to others, what is the hope that we offer? When we offer hope to others, when folks come to us and are looking for answers and looking for solutions, what kind of answers, what kind of hope do we actually give them? Returning to our passage, we see that the norm in this society was to take people to the water. So clearly there were some people there who folks were actually, their solution was to take somebody and doing a very good thing, albeit to a false hope, they were taking people to the water. This man didn't have anybody. And in Jesus' interaction with him, Jesus was asking him, do you want me? The true hope. Jesus' response was not to engage in debate about what was wrong with this approach, but it was rather simply to point to the one, which was him who was the true hope. And there's other examples in scriptures. One of the things I love about how you use scripture to kind of interpret scripture. But there's many other stories. I want to mention two of them if you guys recall. Remember the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And she thinks he's talking about water, giving a drink. And Jesus says, no, that's not what you need. You actually don't need water to drink. What you need is living water. Jesus, once again, is saying, I'm not going to give you your felt need. I'm going to give you what you really need. And in the story of Peter and John, in the uh, book of Acts, when Jesus, or when when they're interacting there at the temple and then this beggar comes up to them and says that he wants something, he wants money. And Peter and John tell him, you know, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I'll give you. When we interact with folks, (coughs) in our workplace, in the student space, family space, and we see that they're seeking something, they're needing something, they're having a difficult time with whatever, what is it that we're pointing them toward? Are we pointing them toward more false hope? Or are we pointing them toward the living hope, which is Jesus? And the final lesson I wanted to pull from this encounter happens at the end of our passage. 
Go ahead and look there in verse 8. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Walk away. Leave this area. What Jesus is communicating isn't just you don't need your bed anymore. Because remember, guys, the bed, the mat, this is what actually was his identity at the time. This is what tied this man. This is what identified this man to I'm a lame, I'm a crippled man. And Jesus is telling him, you don't need this anymore. And I believe he's telling us the same thing. Those of us who are identifying to our old self. You know, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says it this way um, as he communicates to the church at Corinth. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ now, you're a new creation. You used to be identified as the old creation. We've had sermons recently about that. But now you're a new creation. You're no longer acting the old way. You're actually going to be something completely different. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And guys, some of us here today, we may still be identifying with the old creation. Today is your opportunity to identify now as a new creation. Scripture teaches us that in Christ, we can be made new. You know, for others, you identify as Christ followers. That may be many of you. But circumstances in your life keeps you still at the pools of false hope. When Jesus gave this man a new identity, he told him to walk, get up, leave this place. Don't entertain the empty promises of our culture. Rather, align ourselves with the one who is referred to as the living water. And we didn't read it this morning, but if you look in your, in your, in your, on your tablets, on your phones, in your Bible, if you actually jump ahead to verse 14, we see that's actually what this man did. He left the pool, he left that area, and actually went into the city, and they find him in the temple, seeking, continuing to search. And that's what God wants us to do. It's not just enough to verbally say, Okay, I repent, I, I'll stop doing what I'm doing. But to actually turn around and walk away from it, the illustration that I like to use with children many times <coughs> is when we're like in a, in, a, in a pool, they don't know how to swim. And what is it that we all too often do? We love to stay right there at the edge of the pool. And you're like, Buddy, you better be careful. You're going to fall in. Oh, no, but I'm, I'm safe here. But why is it that we want to stay so close to the edge of the water? No. God says, get away from that. You, you don't need your hope filled anymore from these pools. Get up. Take up your bed. And walk. Same question that Jesus asked this lame man, he's asking us today, do you want to get well? You know, for some, this cancer diagnosis is what I would call malignant, it's fatal. 
This is something that is keeping us separated from God. Were we to die today, we're going to be dying in a Christless eternity separated from him. You know, we're living our life in isolation, separation from God, and the only way to treat it is through repentance and faith in Christ's finished work on the cross. You know, if this is you and your answer to Jesus' question is, do you want to get well? If the answer to that is yes, absolutely, I'd love to talk with you at the end of the service. Um, For others, we may have already treated this cancer, this fatal diagnosis. We've already done the, if you want to use the medical terminology some more, the surgery here. We've already taken it out, and that's through accepting what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. But sometimes we still get sick, and sometimes we will still have troubles, we still have struggles. And guys, it's a continual battle. Do we continue to go back to the pool of Bethesda to get healed? Do we go back there to put our hopes in something that is false? Or do we actually go and run to the true healer? Christ is inviting us up to get up from the pool of whatever false hope that we're looking in and come back to him. 